0: Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Faith That Moves Mountains. The previous episode dealt with the Word of Faith principles found in God's Word. The objective for these biblical principles is to usher us into a place where faith is present in our heart, becoming fully persuaded. However, this is just the first part of a two-part process. Just having faith in our heart is not enough. Faith has to be released and sustained in order to ensure a harvest. Now we will cover the second part of the law of faith, called the spirit of faith, according to the Bible. The spirit of faith begins where the word of faith has left off. One begins where the other ends. Once we have faith in our heart, thanks to meditating on God's word, it's now time to release that faith into a positive confession that is consistent until the manifestation of the promise. The word of faith is a confession of God's word unto faith, to get faith into our spirit. But the spirit of faith is a confession that releases our faith from our spirit. In both cases, the word of God is spoken out of our mouth. But the spirit of faith does not kick in until the word of God has been planted in our spirit. At this point, the word is coming out of our spirit, not out of our mind. So in summary, we first operate in the word of faith principles in order to get the word down into our heart through speaking the word. At some point, that word gets into our heart and is transformed into the spirit of faith this spoken word from our heart is what brings the promises of god into manifestation in our life and moves the mountains of circumstances out of the way romans chapter 10 verse 8 but what does it say the word is near you it is in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith we're proclaiming so the word of faith is a confession unto faith second corinthians 4:13 it is written I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. The spirit of faith is a confession of faith. Let's first break down the word of faith. Faith begins where the will of God is known, finding the word of promise. Number two, meditating on God's word to produce faith or the seed in the heart of a person. Number three, the process of renewing the mind and removing doubts and fears. And number four, the seed of God's word has been planted and is ready for germination. That's the goal of the word of faith. Now the spirit of faith picks up where the word of faith left off. Number one, God's will is already ascertained through the revelation of God's word in the heart. Number two, confession of faith from the heart is now directed to the mountain of circumstances. Number three, watering and caring for the seed that is already in process to produce a harvest. And number four, the seed has been germinated, grown, and has now produced a harvest, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Speak to the mountain. Mark 11.22 Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Let's now look at some mountains and some scriptures that we can speak against those mountains. First one is sickness and disease. By his stripes I am healed. The second mountain, fear and doubt. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The third one, poverty and lack. But my God shall supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Number four, weakness and disability. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Number five, personal relationships. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart. And number six, the flesh, the devil, and the world. I have overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. You see, the mountain has no choice. When we operate in the spirit of faith, we are calling it the way we want it, not the way it appears. The mountain of problem must obey. It has no other choice. Notice in the ministry of Jesus that he talked to trees, to the wind, the sea, to dead people, and to demons. They all obeyed him. Jesus always operated in the spirit of faith. That is why everything he said came to pass. He did not have to meditate on the scriptures through the word of faith principles in order to get the word in his heart like we do. That is why many Christians get confused when nothing happens when they speak to the mountain. They have overlooked the precondition to faith. To believe in their heart that what they say will come to pass. Mark four thirty-five, Luke five twenty-four, chapter six, verse ten, Luke seventeen, verse twelve, and John five eight. Folks may say, but that was Jesus. Well, true, but when you read Mark eleven twenty-two to twenty-four again, and you will notice that he has given us authority to walk in his footsteps, according to John fourteen verse twelve and First John two six. Take the word that is stored in your heart, the sword of your spirit, and destroy those problem areas in your life. Speak directly to the problem in Jesus' name. Jesus had functioned on the earth as a son of man anointed with the Holy Spirit, without measure, mind you, so we could follow his example on the earth. Remember, these words did not originate with us. They are not words we had dreamed up. We are speaking God's word to the mountain, not our own words. When we put Bible promises in our hearts and speak them out of our mouths, on the authority of God's word, the facts in our life have to obey and conform to God's eternal truths. However, if we venture out into presumption, outside the written word of God, we are speaking after the traditions of men and presumption, resulting in no power to move mountains. First Corinthians six. Now brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Mark 7 verse 6 Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Jesus was so highly developed in his faith because he always spoke that which he heard from his Father. There was no corruption in his words. He always said what he meant and meant what he said. People who are always joking or flirting with deception, just read Proverbs 26, verse 18 and 19. When we learn to only speak the truth as Jesus did, we will become highly developed in faith. John chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus said, For I do not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. It is more than just what we say about the circumstances or mountain of problems that are facing us. We must develop faith in our words so we can believe that what we are saying day after day will come to pass. The only way that can be done is by speaking only the things we desire to come to pass. Let's not speak the things we don't desire. We have developed our vocabulary to speak negative things. Most of our common sayings are negative. Our everyday speech has been influenced by the enemy to keep us from releasing faith in our own words according to God's word. It will take a period of time before we can believe that everything we say will come to pass. We don't get there overnight. We may have been talking foolishness and perverse speech for many years. Keep it simple, Matthew 5.37. To just believe is not enough. The Bible is very explicit about speaking the word out loud. Certainly, one can pray silently and God will hear us. But when it comes to releasing our faith, it needs to be spoken. Don't expect to become highly developed in faith overnight. Walking by faith is a lifestyle and it takes time. There is a process of learning and applying the principles of God. Not only that, we're not always going to operate these principles correctly the first time either. We must be willing to make mistakes, and if it's not working, then we need to honestly evaluate what we've been doing. Another mature believer can provide an objective perspective to what they see going on in our lives that may be tripping us up. For example, it was 25 years from the time God made the promise to Abraham until it came to pass. We make the same mistake when we think everything is going to happen in just a few days. Growing in faith is a process. We are the sum total today of the words we spoke yesterday. Many people fail to realize that it takes time for things to develop. It takes time to turn things around. If we have been speaking negatively for 15 years. We're not going to change those deep-seated patterns of behavior in just four days. First, we must set things in motion in the spiritual realm through faith-filled words. 750 years before the Father sent Jesus into the earth, he spoke it through the prophet Isaiah. God started saying it 750 years before it came to pass. But so often we want things to happen overnight. We must learn to operate in God's principles. It is so easy to overload our faith. We must learn to recognize the level at which our faith is developed, then operate on that level until we develop to a higher level. Saying and believing brings results according to Mark 1122 24 However, just speaking to the mountain for the sake of just speaking won't cut it. Anyone can do that, even unbelievers. The ungodly do not have Bible faith to move mountains. Second Thessalonians 3.2 and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. We must believe that everything we say to the mountain will come to pass. Believing is a prerequisite to moving the mountain. We must release faith from our hearts in every word we speak. That is the spirit of faith that moves mountains out of our lives. Practice God's principles in order to set them into motion in your life. For the promises of God's word are as near to you as getting them in your mouth. Dare to speak his word of promise to the mountains in your life. The word is working all the time, but it takes a while for the results to be manifested. You see, what you speak is what you believe. Then what you believe is what you speak over and over again. Thus, faith grows stronger in your heart every time you speak it. Now, this is a really important point. God's promises will not happen in our lives just because it's in the Bible. It's not automatic. Each promise of God has to be discovered and appropriated through faith in order for us to enjoy the benefit of it. We must get in agreement with what God has said in His word and confess that as being true in our life. Confession is affirming something we believe. It is testifying to something we know. It is witnessing to a truth we have embraced. Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we confess. So let us hold firmly to the faith we confess is really key to this passage of scripture and defines what confession means to us. To confess means to say the same thing. We will never be a conqueror until we confess we are one in Christ Jesus. If we wait to become a conqueror, before we believe we are one, we are mistaken. We have to confess the Bible realities first before they become a reality in our lives. Faith's confessions create reality. Faith has no expression without confession. Faith grows with the confession of God's word out of our mouths. We will never rise above our confession of God's word in our life. Confession brings possession. It is the act of mixing God's word with faith that brings results. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3 states that. In 2 Corinthians 4:13, remember this is our key text. It is written, "I believed, therefore I have spoken." With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. So the word of faith takes the written word of God, which is the logos, and produces faith in the heart. The spirit of faith transforms that word in our heart into the spoken word of God, which means the rhema in the Greek that moves mountains. Remember, we will never be a conqueror in Christ Jesus until we confess we are one and be in agreement with what God's word has already declared. Three kinds of confession. Number one is the lordship of Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Number two, the believer's confession of his or her sins. 1 John 1 9. And number three, faith in the promises of God in his word. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 through 4. Let's look at the first one, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Since the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has done away with sin once and for all time, according to Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 to 28, There is only one sin left that humanity can commit that sends them to hell. The sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. John chapter 3 verse 35 and 36. The Holy Spirit has been sent to convict the sinner of this one sin, according to John chapter 16 verse 7 through 10. Number two is the believer's confession of sin. Now when we mention the word confession, most people invariably think of confession of sins weakness and failure the bible has a lot more to say on the positive side than the negative side james chapter 5 verse 16 and first john chapter 1 verse 9 and chapter 5 verse 16 all talk about prayer and the confession of sin in acts 19:18 we read about christians who were backslidden into the occult but repented and showed their repentance by their deeds when a believer sins his or her fellowship is broken with the father but not their relationship an interruption or breach in communication has occurred not until the believer confesses it to the father will their fellowship be restored according to 1 john chapter 1 verse 3 to 7 just consider what happens between natural parents and their children when we have sinned we know it 1 john 3:21 our hearts condemn us not the holy spirit the holy spirit's job is to convict the unbeliever of their need of jesus if we don't know if we have sinned We shouldn't try to find something with which to condemn ourselves according to Romans chapter 8 verse 1, nor should we confess our sins over and over again. This builds weakness, doubt, and sin consciousness into our spirits. If we've confessed the sin once, he's forgiven us, and he has forgotten it. So we too must forget it. Isaiah 43.25 and Hebrews 8.12 Satan will try to take advantage of us through false condemnation. He does not play by the rules so we'll have to remind him of them. It is written. Even if we commit the same dumb sin over and over again, like 490 times a day and confess it 490 times from our heart, the Lord will forgive us according to Matthew 8.21. Thankfully, we don't have to suffer some kind of penance, like sickness or condemnation or other junk the devil would like to put off on us. Jesus already has paid the price as our substitute. He suffered the penalty for our sins, so we don't have to. Now number three, we come to faith in the word. Romans 10.10 in the King James Version. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession leads to the possession of God's promises. Nowhere does the Bible teach that if we just believe in our heart, we'll get an answer. Speaking God's word releases the grace, the divine energy and power within it, and it won't return to us void. Salvation is received through confession. So is everything else we receive from God. All that we receive from God comes the same way, by His grace and through our faith. We believe the word in our heart and confess it out of our mouth for salvation, healing, prosperity, baptism in the Holy Spirit, etc., Please take note that in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, that believing is mentioned once, but confession is mentioned three times. So what is confession? Well, number one, it's affirming something that we believe. Number two, it's testifying to something that we know. And number three, it's witnessing to a truth that we've embraced. So the next obvious question is, what are we to confess? Well, number one, what God in Christ wrought for us in the plan of redemption. Number two, what God through the word and the Holy Spirit wrought for us in the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number three, what we are to God the Father in Christ Jesus. Number four, what Jesus is doing for us now, seated at the right hand of the Father, where he ever lives to make intercession for us, according to Hebrews 7.25. And number five, what God can do through us, or what his word will do through our lips. We cannot confess to or witness about things we do not know about. It's what we personally know about the Lord Jesus Christ and who we are in him that counts. Unfortunately, so many Christians profess to hearsay from others rather than personal revelation from the Bible through the Holy Spirit. Many people know the Lord as their personal savior, but they don't know their rights and privileges in him. When people really know who they are in Christ and take advantage of that fact, they cannot fail in the Christian life. To be a successful Christian, we must know who we are in Christ Jesus. When we know that, we think in line with that, and believe and confess that, then there is no failure in us. Find scriptures in Him, in whom, etc. The moment we find them and begin to confess it, this is who I am and what I have. If we'll do that, Life will be different for us before many days. Remember, Christianity is called the Great Confession. In Galatians 3.13, it states, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, which is summed up in three things, poverty, sickness, and the second death. Galatians 3.14 refers to the blessing of Abraham as being ours, material, financial, physical, and spiritual blessings. 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. So remember, Christianity is called the Great Confession, speaking who we are in Christ Jesus. I have learned not to pray for money anymore. We have authority through the name of Jesus. The Father is the one who owns all the gold and silver, Haggai 2 of 8, Psalms 24 1, and the cattle on the thousand hills, Psalms fifty ten. So instead of praying to God for it, I simply say, Satan, take your hands off my finances, and I specifically claim the amount I need in Jesus' name. When God gave man dominion in the Garden of Eden, the devil came and usurped it from Adam. Thus Satan became the small g God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians four four. However, Jesus came as the last Adam and took back what the devil stole and gave it to us, the redeemed of the Lord. Romans 5.17 and Luke 10.19 Unless we exert our God-given authority in Jesus' name, the devil will continue to lord himself over our lives, resist him with the word in the name of Jesus, and take back what he has stolen. John 10.10 We will never rise above our confession of God's word. The confession of our lips that has grown out of faith in our heart will absolutely beat the devil in every combat. If an individual does not believe in his heart or her heart the confession of their lips they are making, then it will not work. Faith is a release of delegated authority. I have never been able to understand how anybody could think he or she can get help from God apart from his word. God moves in line with his word. We should treat his word with the same reverence as we treat the Lord Jesus Christ, as if he were here in the flesh. God has given us his word to get our thinking straightened out. If any of my thinking is not in line with God's word, I'm going to make it a priority to change my thinking to conform to the eternal standard, our final authority. Psalms 119 verse 152 In Mark 16:20, it states, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. We renew our mind by studying the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us to have the mind of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 2.16. The only way we can have the mind of Christ is to study His Word, believe it in our heart, and act upon it. We must stop holding to the confession of our senses and hold on to what God's Word says. If the Word says we are healed, then we are. Act on the Word, and it will heal us every time. Proverbs four to 22 Believing God is believing His Word. I can't understand God the Father by feelings. I can't understand the Lord Jesus Christ by my feelings. I understand God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ only by what the Word says about them. We need to get acquainted with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the Word of God. They are everything the Word says they are. Many people try to get acquainted with God through their feelings. When they feel well, they think God heard them. If they don't feel well, They think he has not heard them. Their faith is based on their feelings. Our faith must be based on God's word. If God's word says he hears me, I know he hears me because he said so, and his word cannot lie. I will believe the word regardless of the evidence that would attempt to satisfy my five physical senses. Let me illustrate the necessity to be persistent when it comes to standing on God's word, regardless of physical circumstances and difficulties it takes determination to receive healing. Look at the little woman who pressed through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, or the Syrophoenician woman who desired healing for her daughter, or the man whose friends let him down through the roof. These people had the attitude, no matter what it takes or how long it takes, I will receive from Jesus because I know he is the source of my healing, deliverance, or any other need. Unfortunately, the devil is also persistent. If he thinks that he can move us, from our stand of faith by worsening or continuing the symptoms he will do so and if we are looking to our body or other circumstances to be the measure of whether or not god is working we will eventually give up but the measure of what god is doing should always be his word which does not change if he said he would do it then he's going to do it no matter what the circumstances to the contrary might say matthew 15:21 Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Don't let people talk you out of what God has promised. The things God has given you by promise are not wrong for you. Believe for them. Put your confession of faith out there for these promises but do it by the Bible method. Confession of God's word works for us, because it sets the law of faith into motion. Faith is a law of God, Romans 3.27. In Hebrews 10.23 it states, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we confess, for he who promised is faithful. What we believe is the result of our thinking. If we think wrong, we will believe wrong. We must renew our mind with the word of God. If our believing is wrong, our confession will be wrong, and it will all hinge on our thinking. Our thinking has to be in line with the word of God, because actually we will not be able to believe beyond the knowledge we have of the word of God. Nothing will be impossible to us if we think right, believe right, and confess right. Mark 9.23 and Luke one thirty seven. To believe in our heart means that we also must speak that word out of our mouth the two go hand in hand. God's word comes first. Faith in God's word comes second. Feelings come last. Spiritual Dynamics of Confession The confession of the believer does several things. First, it locates us. Matthew 12.33 Jesus said, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Did you know we can actually locate the spiritual position a person is in by just listening to them? Our words give us away to whether we are in faith or in fear. In order to change our vocabulary, we need to start hearing God's word, which will renew our mind and store the truth in our hearts. As a result, it will become second nature for us to speak God's word in any and every situation. What is instinctive for us to do and say is based on what we have stored in our spirit. Proverbs 23 7. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Secondly, confession fixes the landmarks of our life. Numbers 13 verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Malachites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now this is really important for us to understand. We will not receive beyond what we say. If we say we can't, then we can't. We get nothing. But if we say that we can, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The reason the majority of Christians are weak and even though they are earnest is that they have never dared to make a confession of who they are in Jesus. How do we do this? First, we must realize how God looks at us and confess it. Then boldly confess that the word declares who we are in Christ Jesus. As we do this, our faith will abound. The reason faith is held in bondage is that we have never dared to confess what God says we are. Faith then grows with our confession of God's word. There is no faith without confession. Confession is classified as an action, or an act of releasing, putting into force our faith. It's faith's way of expressing itself. Our faith will rise no higher than our confession of God's word. Note if we could not lose faith, we would not need to hold fast to our confession of that faith according to 1 Timothy 5.11-14, Hebrews 3.16, and chapter 4, verse 14. Confession is to faith, as thrust is to an airplane. Unless there is thrust, we will not have any lift on the wings of an airplane. When the thrust is gone, that law is gone, and the law of gravity will pull us down. So it is with the confession of our faith. We must confess God's word to continue in faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and faith comes by hearing the word of God. These are spiritual principles, they are always the same. So remember, there is no faith without confession, and faith grows with our confession of God's word. We will find that our confession of faith in God's word will open the door for him to work on our behalf. Isaiah 43.26 Put me in remembrance, let us contend together. State your case, that you may be acquitted. I am not suggesting that we manipulate God into fulfilling our own selfish desires. Honestly, that would be impossible to do anyways according to James chapter 4 verse 1 through 3. There are safeguards in place that prevent people from abusing God's word and his promises. Like faith works by love. Love will never take advantage of people or of God. So when it comes to confession, what we are saying is simply what God has already said, and so declaring that it's his will according to his holy written word besides confession of his word is his idea in order that we may bring to pass his wonderful provision for our lives just read second peter chapter 1 verse 1 through 4 confession of god's word puts angels to work on our behalf according to hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 to 14 and revelation chapter 22 verse 8 and 9 angels are listening to what we say because what we say has a tremendous effect on what they do angels know what god said and it seems that angels are on earth to make sure that God's word comes to pass concerning our lives. I believe the words we speak that are in agreement with God's word gives them assignments. They hearken to the sound we give to God's word that comes out of our mouths. Psalms 103 verse 19 The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord you his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So we influence angels by speaking God's word after him. Psalms 107 verse 2 Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. If we are obeying the Lord's instructions in Mark 11 verse 22-24, to then the angels are assigned to make sure that we eventually have what we are saying. Now it may take time, but rest assured that they are working on it day and night. Daniel chapter 10 verse 7-12 through I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left all alone. Gazing at this great vision, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. As I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Our words will set the kingdom of God astir. So here's a question. What would constitute a wrong confession? To put it simply, a wrong confession, either indirectly or directly, glorifies the devil. The statement I just made may come to you as a shock, but it is true nonetheless. The obvious question now is, well, what is a wrong confession then? A wrong confession, of course, is a confession of defeat, failure, and of supremacy of Satan in some way. Some Christians are always talking about their combat with the devil. They magnify the devil and what he is doing. Any time one talks of how the devil is holding him or her in bondage, how he is making them sick and keeping them from success, it is a confession of defeat and failure. 2 Corinthians 10.17 But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When a wrong confession is made, we give Satan dominion over us. A wrong confession destroys our faith. It holds us in bondage. Therefore, don't talk about the circumstances or what the devil is doing. The confession of our lips that has grown out of faith in our heart will absolutely defeat the devil in every combat. With our mouth, we either give God dominion over us, or we give it to Satan. Whatever we confess will begin to dominate our life. In Romans chapter 10 verse 9, when we confess Jesus as our Lord, he immediately became the Lord of our life and began to exercise dominion and rule in our life. Praise God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. However, when we confess Satan's ability to hinder us, either directly or indirectly, even though we are a Christian, we are in fact giving Satan dominion over our life. He is the God small g of this world, and he will move right on in, if we permit him to do so. It may be a permission of ignorance on our part, or an unconscious consent, but he cannot dominate us without our consent. This does not mean we have lost our salvation but it does mean we have given the devil a foothold in our life according to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27. The Bible would not warn us not to give the devil a foothold in our life if he could not have one. When we open the door, we are giving the enemy a foothold. If we have, then resist him in Jesus' name and let's put a watch over our mouth. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 and 9. I like what it says in Psalms 141.3. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord keep watch over the door of my lips. When Satan is exercising this illegitimate dominion over our life, we will be filled with weakness and failure. Confess the truth. God's word is truth. John seventeen seventeen. 17. It may not be true right now in our life, but by confessing it, in time the word will replace what we have now, which is defeat, with what we want, and that's victory. Because God's word is a higher law. Romans 8, 1. However, it will only be true in our life if we enforce it through the confession of God's word out of our mouth. Legally, Jesus has provided us with all things that pertain to life and godliness, but it's not automatically applied in our life. When we begin to appropriate the word in our life through faith, the devil will attempt to overthrow our faith through trials, tests, and temptations. It's all a battle of words. Matthew chapter four, verse one through eleven. Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse three and five. as we practice God's word in our life, against the obstacles of life, we will grow up spiritually, each battle we win, the next one will be easier to overcome john sixteen thirty three Jesus said, "I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world 1 john five four For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Only a few realize that our confessions imprison us and that only the right kind of confession will set us free. It is not only our thinking, but it is the words we speak that will build power or weakness into us. It is what we confess with our lips that really dominates our inner being. We unconsciously confess what we believe. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we talk sickness, poverty, weakness, and failure, it's because we believe in them. By hearing ourselves and others speak these kinds of words over and over again, it is necessary that there be a continual confession of our redemption from Satan's dominion and that he no longer rules over us with condemnation or the curse of the law. We are to hold fast to our confession because our confession is Satan's defeat. Jesus defeated the devil nearly 2,000 years ago at Calvary, but what he did for us legally has to become a vital living reality in our lives. We will never understand thoroughly the word of God until we can see clearly the two different sides of our redemption, the legal side and the vital side. So there's a balance between the two. The legal side are the facts of redemption. The vital side is how to receive it personally into our lives. The Greek tense of Hebrews 4.14 is, let us hold fast to saying the same thing. Our confession will either imprison us or set us free. Confession is the result of our believing, and our believing is the result of our right or wrong thinking. The promises of God must first be spoken over our lives as though they are a reality, even before the manifestation of the promise comes to pass. It is already provided for, according to the word. It belongs to us. But if we never dare to confess it or to claim it, we will never walk in it for ourselves. When we confess who we are in Christ, claim it, and walk in it, we are just appropriating the reality of what already is legally ours in Jesus Christ. Romans 4.17 As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Again, let's go back to Mark 11:22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. For example, in the air of healing, many people receive healing in a large crusade where the corporate anointing is in operation. But when they get on their own, the devil takes advantage of their ignorance of the principles of faith. As a result, they lose their healing because they fail to keep their mouth in line with the word, saying the same thing concerning the promises of God. The moment the devil slaps some symptoms on their body in an attempt to deceive them into opening the door, they say, Well, I guess that old cancer has come back on me again. That is just what the devil wanted to hear and was waiting for, and says, Thank you very much. Here, have seven times as much cancer as you had before. Maybe this time I can kill you quicker before you get healed again. Sometimes we do people an injustice by not following up with them, by teaching from God's word on how to keep their healing. The enemy will come and test it in order to see if he can put it back on them again. The truth is, if they don't get their minds renewed with God's word in order to speak in agreement with the word, that same old thing will come back on them because the whine is still in their voice. Speaking of whining and complaining, we can pray for people in faith, but if they maintain the wrong confession, it would do no good. It will nullify the effect of our prayer. 1 Peter 5, eight and James 4, seven. Some people believe that anyone can pray the prayer of faith for them and get results, whether they believe the word or not that is wrong prayer is important but it is the prayer of faith in agreement with the other person that gets the job done i've heard people say well jesus can do anything well not according to mark chapter 6 verse 5 and 6 so if jesus could not help people who were stubbornly persisting in doubt and unbelief neither can we let's read that mark chapter 6 verse 5 jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Please do not confess your doubts. We don't have any business entertaining doubts than we do dope. Doubt is just as evil and destructive as drugs are in a person's life. Since it is evil, we have no business putting up with it in our lives. Doubt is contraband goods, and the devil is the doubt dealer. Expose and renounce all forms of doubt. As subtle as they appear, don't allow it to escape your lips, because if you do, it will nullify your faith. Resist doubt and fear in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and those tormenting twins of the enemy will leave you. We have no more business in saying words of doubt than in saying curse words. That is the devil's language. Many people think they are just being honest when they confess that they are afraid or that they have doubts. They are also usually the ones who are the first to criticize those who speak faith in the face of difficult situations. Start confessing who you are in Christ. You are a believer, a new creation, so start acting like one. Talk that, believe that, and think that. Many people do not have any faith because they talk themselves out of it when they pray. How you may ask? They bring up every sin or mistake they can think of, and when they get through, they don't have any faith at all because they are holding themselves under condemnation and making the wrong confession. The believer who is continually confessing his or her sins and weaknesses is building weakness, failure, and sin into their consciousness. As long as we hold to a confession of weakness, sickness, and pain, we still have those problems. We may search for a person of God to pray the prayer of faith for us, but it will be of no avail, because our unbelief will destroy the effects of their faith. As I said before, some people get healed by mass faith, but when they get on their own after the meetings, Satan takes advantage of their unbelief and the sickness returns. No matter how long a person prays for us, as long as we act against the word, the word can't work for us. But when we act in line with it, it will work for us, every time without exception. Hebrews chapter 3.17 And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter His rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. God's hands are tied until we step into agreement with His word and speak it out of our mouths. Contradictory evidence. What next? There are many facts about our lives that are not in agreement with God's word. It may be a fact that we have a particular problem, like fear, let's say. It may be a fact that we are currently being oppressed by this demonic force, a spirit of fear. These may be facts that are evident in our life, but it is not the final authority. Let's not put up with anything the devil throws at us. Let's stand up in faith and speak the truth of God's word, which is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and conduct. Please remember, what God's word says is how he sees us, and the truth always trumps facts. John 8.31 Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. At times, we are all guilty of speaking contrary to the truth in one form or another. James 3.14 If you are dealing with some form of fear in your life, begin confessing Isaiah 54.14. I would encourage you to personalize this truth by speaking it in the first person. Let's do that now. Isaiah 54.14 in righteousness I will be established, tyranny will be far from me, I will have nothing to do with fear, terror will be far removed, it will not come near me. If anyone does attack me, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks me will surrender to me. So there is a difference between a fact and a truth. There is such a thing as lying vanities, according to Jonah chapter two verse eight in the King James Version. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Satan's tactics is to take a lie and present it as though it was truth. It's called deception in the Bible. God has provided a way for escape from every trial, test, and temptation, and it is found in the truth of God's word. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. If we seek the counsel of the world or listen to worthless talk that contradicts the truth of God's word, we are forsaking our own mercy in so doing. So, in the face of fear, we need to confess, I am far from oppression. Fear does not come nigh me. Well, someone may come along and say, you would be lying if you said that, if you're still feeling fearful. No, actually I'm speaking the truth. Now, it may not be true right now in my life at the moment, but that's the reason I'm saying it. That is what faith is all about. Calling the things I do not have as though I did. Romans 4.17 so that which is present in my life the problem will be replaced by what i want the promise of god by his grace and through my faith ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 so it may be that the facts in our lives do not line up with what god says that we should be and have but that is all the more reason that we should confess what god has said about the situation faith replaces what we have that we don't want with what we don't have what we do want hebrews eleven nine he sets aside the first to establish the second. God told Joshua to keep speaking the Word day and night in order to receive the promises of God. Joshua chapter one, verse eight and nine. That is the way we will put confession to work for us. We must confess the promise even when we feel like the very opposite is true. Faith is designed to bring substance to what we hope for, not more of the problem we already have hebrews eleven one However, the key is that we must say what we want, not what we have. The problem with God's people is they keep saying what they have. In so doing, the problem is just being reinforced in their life, which is the very opposite of what they want. Confession of God's word makes the promises of God valid in our life. Faith replaces what we have and don't want with what we don't have and do want. That is why we should speak God's word even when outward circumstances say it isn't true in the natural. God's will for us is for the truth of his word to be true or a reality in every area of our lives. As far as God is concerned, he sees us positioned in Jesus and in our blood-bought redemption. God has already said all he needs to say about it. He has poured out his grace, his power, into the words of the Bible. When activated through our faith, impossible situations are made possible. So the Father God is waiting on us to set the law of faith into motion to get the job done. When we begin to see ourselves and our lives through the eye of faith as God does, we can be greatly encouraged. Natural things are subject to change, and will change when faith is applied to the situation. Second Corinthians 4.18 So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We are called to take the shield of faith and quench the fiery darts of the devil according to Ephesians 6.16. Some people, however, take the shield of doubt and quench all the blessings of God instead. Let's call the promises of God into manifestation. Confess God's word in the face of every circumstance. If you need to, take your medicine, then confess with every pill, I believe I receive my healing. If you wear corrective lenses, whenever you put your contacts into your eyes or put your glasses on, confess. By his stripes, my eyes are healed. This is a process. Just keep speaking God's word over every situation in your life. These things won't happen overnight, but when you continue to apply God's principles of faith, they will eventually happen. With the heart, a person believes. Faith is an action of the spirit of a person. Faith works in the heart, not in the head. When a sinner repents and makes a confession of faith, they release God's energy force called grace within him or her. This person has spoken into existence the new birth into their spirit. Remember Romans 10.10? Confession is made unto salvation, but also healing, prosperity, peace, victory in every area of life. Now there are some who confess God's word out of fear. It sounds good. They are saying the right things, but they are doing it out of fear and desperation. I've heard people say, well, if you can just get desperate enough, God will answer you. A state of hysteria does not impress God, but simply reveals our lack of priorities and failing to put God's word first in our life. Instead, we have turned to God as a last resort, hoping he will bail us out, and he is faithful to do so. However, isn't it better to have built our lives on God's word ahead of time? So when the storms of life come, we remain standing. So God does not have to piece us together like Humpty Dumpty. However, God wants us to establish a lifestyle of learning to walk by faith, in good times as well as the seasons of trials, tests, and temptations. Our confession must be done in faith. That is why we must continue to do it. Now in the beginning, we will be speaking some things that we don't initially believe when we first speak them, even though we know it's the right thing to do, because it's in the Bible. We know the Bible is true, but it won't necessarily be true in our life immediately. But if we continue to speak, confess, and proclaim it long enough, we will eventually believe it in our spirit. For what we continue to speak, we will eventually believe and receive in time. That is the word of faith according to Romans chapter 10 verse 7 to 10. So let's get soaked with the word until we are so word conscious that every time we turn around, we are thinking about God's holy written word and what it says. While others are talking about everything else, we should keep on talking about what the Word says. In the face of contrary evidence, quote 2 Corinthians 5, seven. we live by faith, not by sight. And we can say, as Smith Wigglesworth once said, I am not moved by what I see. I am not moved by what I feel. I am moved only by what I believe. I believe God's Word. You see, God's Word should always come first in our lives. Faith in God's Word comes second. Feelings come last. Let's learn not to ask how we feel, but tell our feelings how to feel, according to James 3.2. In Acts 27.25, Paul said, So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Faith acts in the face of contrary evidence and praises above the turmoil. Acts 16.25 God is waiting on us, for he responds to our faith in power and grace. If we learn the principles of faith, it is easy to receive whatever we need from God. When we act upon what God's word says or act upon what the Holy Spirit may have spoken to our heart, results are forthcoming. Acts 13 verse 1-3 through That is faith. According to Mark eleven twenty four, faith says, It's mine, I have it now. For example, when we have to believe, we receive for our healing. We have to believe we receive our healing for our body while our body is still not functioning right. And if we believe that we receive it, that is when we have it. Most people want to receive their healing first and then believe it. Most people hope for healing instead of believing for it. Faith is now. Speak in the present tense. Hope is future tense. What tense are we speaking in? That is a big reason why we are not receiving our needs met. I believe I am, and I receive the answer to my prayer. Faith expects, knows, and acts like it's so, and declares it's mine. I have it now. Here are some tips I hope will help. First, have God's word on the subject. Number two, believe and act like it's so. And number three, consider not the contradictory circumstances. And number four, praise God for the answer. You see, faith believes before it sees, faith rests when put to the test. Faith sings about things not seen. Faith knows before it shows. Faith acts as though it's fact. If I pray just once for something and don't get it, I start changing. I start changing because if I pray and that prayer is not answered, there will have to be a change before the answer comes. And I know there can't be any change with God because He never changes. So if there's any changing to be done, it has to be done on my part. Therefore, if I pray and do not receive, then I start changing. There is no validity to a response like, well, God may have some mysterious purpose, so this time he's saying no. That kind of an answer is a cop-out. We are just giving up and rationalizing in a religious frame of mind. Such thinking contradicts scripture because God never changes. God's word is God's will. If it's yes one time, you'll be yes the next time. If it is God's will to save someone, it's always his will to save someone. If it's God's will to heal us one time, it is his will to heal us every time. Immediately, not a hundred years from now, because faith is now. Nowhere in the ministry of Jesus did it take years, months, or even weeks before people received an answer. True, not everyone received their healing instantaneously, but it was soon after he spoke the healing word that the manifestation came. Calling those things Now in Genesis chapter 12, we see God's first call to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. At this time, his name was Abram, and he was seventy five years old. Abram obeyed and traveled to the land of Canaan. In Genesis chapter fifteen, God appeared to Abram again, but this time Abram asked God the obvious question in Genesis fifteen verse one. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram had had asked a logical question. Since God had promised to make him a father of many nations, he first must have a son. God is a faith God. He was calling Abram something he was not at the time, a dad. And Abram was getting a little confused over the matter. We see that God was operating in faith. And Abram did not have the foggiest idea how this promise was going to come to pass, but he decided to take God at his word anyway. The Bible states that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram entered into covenant with the Lord and his name was changed to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. Unfortunately, Abraham got anxious, being 86 years old at the time, so he decided to help God out and do something About this childless situation. Big mistake. In Genesis chapter 16, we see religion at its finest. Man's idea to bring about God's will in the earth. Abram and his wife Sarah decided to use a maid servant in order to help things along. Predictably, the whole thing was a failure and blew up in their faces. The big takeaway in this lesson is we need to learn to wait for God's timing. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai his wife took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. As a result, Ishmael was born, who becomes a thorn in their flesh. Eventually, he was finally driven away. Because of the covenant God had made with Abraham, his second son Isaac was his rightful heir. Genesis chapter 17 verse 19 and 20. The account of Ishmael and his descendants are recorded in Genesis chapter 25 verse 12 through 18. All throughout the rest of history, even until today, Ishmael's descendants are hostile to the people of Israel, a costly mistake for being impatient. God still brought about his original plan, but Abraham's little escapade still bears unpleasant consequences for his impetuous actions. A word to the wise should be sufficient. When God confirmed his promise to Abraham, he was 99 years old at the time. He said, I have made you a father of many nations in Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 through 5. Since the first time God had spoken the promise to Abraham, about 25 years had elapsed. Here we see a great faith principle in action. There was a divine design for God to change Abram's name to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. Every time he heard his name, faith in God's promise was being produced, according to Romans 10.17. For example, when someone would call out, Abraham, it would be the same as saying, Hey, father of many nations, can you come over here and help me? So apparently, it took some time for him to believe the promise. When we finally become fully persuaded concerning the promises of God, according to Romans 4.21, well, Isaac was born in Abraham's case. Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Abraham encountered three visitors, one of them was the second person of the Godhead, the word of God himself, Jesus. The Lord told Abraham. He was going to have a son through Sarah. Sarah was eavesdropping on their conversation, and when she overheard that point, she laughed to herself in disbelief. Genesis chapter 18 verse 10. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself, as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But the Lord said, Yes, you did laugh. It seems that Abraham was not totally sold on the idea of having Sarah as a mother since he already had his substitute in Ishmael ready to do the job. However, the God who does not change continued to speak faith concerning Isaac even before he was born. Genesis chapter seventeen, verse seventeen Abraham fell face down, he laughed and said to himself, "'Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety And Abraham said to God. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Within one year of Abraham having his name changed, Isaac was finally born. God was faithful to his promise in spite of their lack of faith concerning his plan to bring it about. Remember Hebrews 11.6? Faith is what pleases God because faith requires that we do things His way. The Lord delights in making the impossible possible, because then He gets all the glory. If we could change our situation around ourselves, like the Ishmael deal, it would not require any faith in God. A fleshly alternative to God's plan is like substituting God's gold for our brass. Genesis chapter 21 verse 1, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said, And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Here's a little side note. Many have wondered why God chose Abraham anyway. What was it about Abraham that made him so special among all the men of the earth at that time? Of course, the Bible has the answer to these questions. Ultimately, the Lord knew Abraham would believe him, and that belief was substantiated by his obedience to do what God had told him to do. Genesis chapter 18 verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham never did receive the full manifestation of the promises of God in his lifetime. God's covenant with mankind through Abraham will not fully be consummated until Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 through 5 takes place, after the millennium. God's word will continue to work even after thousands of years have elapsed, until it is all fulfilled, even to the last little iota. Even still, Abraham was faithful to talk about the promises of God to his children, and they in turn passed them down from generation to generation, even to this day. Matthew 24, 35 Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Hebrews 11 verse 11 By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. I have shared so far concerning Abraham, I believe we have gained a greater appreciation of the meaning of this principle of faith, calling those things that be not as though they were. God is our example of how he deliberately renamed Abraham to Abraham as a father of many nations even before he had a son. Romans 4.17 As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed a God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. We are not lying when we speak the truth of God's word over the circumstances of life, like calling ourselves healed when symptoms plague our body, prosperous while the bills keep piling up, full of peace and joy while the world around us is falling to pieces. If we are to follow the Father's example with Abraham, we need to change how we see ourselves from loser poor, weak, afraid, and victim, to a winner, rich, strong, courageous, and victor in Jesus. For this is what God's word says about us. So let's find these promises and put our name in there, personalize them, confess them, and receive God's abundant provision of grace in order to reign in life through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17 This is what Abraham came to realize. Just take God at his word and obey him. Taking the Lord's lead, Abraham called himself a father of many nations even before he was one. So let's call ourselves healed, prosperous, and full of victory even before we see it physically in our life. For faith will add the substance, healing, financial, and victory substance of what we hope for in our life. Hebrews eleven one. I like what it says in Romans 4.16. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace. And may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also of those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Galatians three six. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ, may be given to those who believe. What we must come to understand is that what is unseen or invisible is eternal. Second Corinthians 4:18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Faith in the heart is a spiritual force inside the human spirit, which comes from the word of God. Faith in the heart gives the human spirit the ability to conceive what God has promised. Then after conception, eventually there will be a manifestation. The promises in the Bible are God's will for you and me, but they will not come to us just because they are in the Bible we must call them into our life. We need to check up on ourselves. Perhaps we've been calling things for years, and that is the reason we get into bad situations. We've been calling the wrong things. To change our situation, all we have to do is switch over to the positive side of confession and consistently speak God's word over life's circumstances. Luke 17.6 He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Confession is a method of calling things that are not as though they were. If I am sick, I confess I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. I am delivered from the authority of darkness. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. You see, I am calling my body well and healthy on the authority of God's word. That's faith, not presumption. I'm not suggesting that we go around denying sickness. As children of God, we are not called to become doormats for the devil to walk on. Rather, Jesus put him under our feet in order to walk all over the devil. Luke 10.19 No, we deny the right for sickness and disease to exist in our body when Jesus redeemed us from it, as he did with sin. We need to put into practice God's method, the principles of the kingdom of God let's start calling our body well. Note we should use wisdom when calling things that be not as though they were in public, because people will misunderstand us and think we're either crazy or lying. 1 Corinthians one twenty-eight: He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. When we call things into manifestation, we in fact are nullifying the problem that exists. When problems exist, We don't deny that the problem exists. If our body is sick with symptoms, we don't deny it. Rather, we say, I have some symptoms present in my body, but I believe that right now God's word is affecting a healing and a cure and is driving every trace of it out of my body in Jesus' name. Some people who misunderstand this faith message think if they are hurting, they should say, I am not sick. Just denying the symptoms won't make us well. In fact, that could be a lie. There is a difference between a lie and a confession. We will go more into depth about this in a little bit. In Matthew 17:20, Jesus replied, Because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is how faith works. It first starts very small as a seed, speaking words. In the natural, parents never receive their children full-grown. Likewise, initially our faith will not start out fully developed either. Faith in the heart is the ability of the human spirit to conceive the seed of God's word and carry it for a period of time as it grows, until the manifestation of the promise of God is revealed in our lives. Mark chapter 4.26 Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like a man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Just as a child grows inside his or her mother's womb, so the word of God grows in our spirit. This is what Jesus was teaching concerning the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 4. The kingdom grows inside of us as we speak God's word out of our mouth. Seeds are being planted for a glorious harvest of grace. The word of God is the seed or the embryo. It grows and develops in the womb of our spirit. That is also the way our faith develops. When we are born again, we didn't receive fully developed faith, but just a measure, The Christian experience is all about increasing and developing that measure many times over. Romans 12.3 For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. 2 Corinthians 10.15 Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3 We ought always to thank God for you brothers and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing Every Christian starts out with the same measure of faith when they are born again of incorruptible seed of God's word 1 Peter 1:23 So the only way we can measure our faith is to measure the amount of the word of God that is in our spirit the kingdom within us grows as our faith continues to grow through God's Word. Bible confession is not lying, Romans chapter four, verse eighteen. Against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, "So shall your offspring be, without weakening in his faith, He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. God and Abraham were calling those things that were not as though they were. The Bible does not say they were calling those things that were as though they were not. Abraham did not go around saying, I'm not old. I'm not old. If he had said that, he would have been lying. Some have never understood the difference between a lie and a confession. A confession is based on the word of God. It may seem to the world as a lie, but if God said it, how could we be lying by saying what God has already said in His word? Abraham did not deny the facts by saying, I'm not old. He called it the way God had called it, and his confession which simply is agreement with what God has already said, overcame the natural facts, which stated that it was impossible for him and Sarah to have a child together. Confess what God's word says is true concerning your situation. Truth overcomes facts. Some say, those who get over into this confession business are just trying to act like God. I would rather act like God, according to Ephesians 5.1, than to act like the devil. In John chapter eight, verse forty-two to forty-four, in 1 John chapter three, verse seven through ten, if I am acting like God by saying what God has already said about me in the Bible, then those who are saying what the devil is saying through doubt, fear, and unbelief are acting like the devil. Then, so how can you say your body is well when it appears that you are sick in the natural? This is a logical question, but we need to understand that when symptoms are in our body, or we have problems in our life. That's all the more reason that we should confess the promises of God over them. We are calling for the things we don't have. We are calling the provision into manifestation. There is no need to call for something that already is manifest. I am not trying to convince others that I am not sick or that I am not hurting. If I were, I would be lying. If I try to convince others that I already have something that I don't literally have, then I would be lying. But when others hear me say, thank God my body is well, I am healed, I am delivered, I am free from sickness and disease, and I am calling my body well in Jesus' name, I am not just calling things that are not as though they were on the authority of God's word. Therefore, I am not lying. When we make faith confessions, they are for our benefit, not for anybody else. In most cases, it would be better if others would not hear our faith confessions unless they misunderstand it and get offended. So let's keep calling for the promises of God that are not currently manifest in our life until they do. 2 Corinthians 5, seven. we live by faith, not by sight. Psalms 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. When we call health into our body, it will nullify sickness and disease. When we call for abundance into our finances, it will nullify lack. Good stuff, isn't it? So calling things that be not is acting on the faith principles found in Mark 11.23. We are not denying the things that exist by calling for something else in its place. Call it the way God promised it would be. Call the promise into manifestation. Use God's method to change the problems that exist. Joel 3.10 Let the weakling say I am strong. Worry is simply calling things that are not as though they were on the negative side. Judges chapter 6 verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon's response was from a natural point of view. He was just saying it like it was. However, the Lord said it the way it was not. Does that mean God was lying? Romans chapter three verse three Let God be true and every man a liar. No the Lord was operating in faith as he wants us to. Judges chapter six verse thirty six. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that was what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Gideon continues on in the natural later on, And asked for a sign, just to make sure God was not lying about what he had promised him. God is so merciful. In the Old Testament, he permitted himself to be subjected to these carnal tests. However, he expects more of his children in the New Testament to walk by faith and to be led by the Holy Spirit and not by fleeces. Luke chapter 12, verse 47. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given, much more will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. If we are going to trust in a fleece or some other physical sign, just mark it down. We're going to get fleeced. The devil can manipulate circumstances in the natural in order to deceive us, so we move out of the will of God as a result. Rather, let's trust the inward witness of the Holy Spirit as the new covenant child of God. He will bear witness with our spirit what God's will is for our life in every decision. Romans 8.14 Take God's word for your hope in any hopeless situation. Some may say, that is just a bunch of positive thinking, mind over matter, and Christian science stuff. No, they are principles from the Bible. And the power of his word over all matter. Let's look at a few examples in the ministry of Jesus, where he spoke faith over situations that faced him. Mark chapter five, verse 39. Jesus went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. John chapter 11, verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. John chapter 2 verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple. And are you going to raise it up in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Concerning this principle of faith of calling those things that be not as though they were, we are talking about calling the promises of God. It is not about something God does not want us to have, but about things that God has already given to us. Some say, you're just plain make-believe, confessing all these things. No, faith brings into manifestation the substance of things hoped for or desired. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 through 3 there are three main methods by which this principle is expressed number 1 by praying the answer number 2 through confession of god's word and number 3 by our actions which are displayed on a daily basis begin speaking the end result now here's a really important tip don't pray the problem the temptation comes for us to share our problems with others Unfortunately, all this does is reinforce the problem. Remember the cardinal truth of faith? Faith comes by hearing the word. Sharing the problem is calling those things that are as though they are, but more of it. Obviously, this would be a big mistake to make. So by saying things as they appear, we are just reinforcing the present circumstances. That doesn't help. To discuss the details of our problems with our friends and then try to release faith in the promises of God is being double-minded. And James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8 says that we should not expect to receive anything from God as a result. Friends, these are the things that are defeating us. Let's learn how to control our mouth. Speak only that which is in agreement with God's word consistently without undermining our faith confessions with a bunch of double talk. We do foolish things sometimes thinking that we are being honest, transparent, and authentic. People who practice this will often say, Well, brother, I'm just telling it like it is. You know, you have to say it like it is. That is true if we want more of that problem in our life. Others may say, Well, how am I supposed to give a prayer request without telling them what the problem is? Well, that's a good point. I believe it's all in the emphasis we place on our wording. Are we magnifying the problem or God? Are we telling how horrible the situation is, or are we releasing faith in God's word, which is going to change the situation around? Remember, faith does not deny the facts. It presents the truth, the promises in God's word, that will change the facts and circumstances of life. Let's begin confessing what we want and not what we have. If we have to share some of the details to a prayer partner, keep them brief. Spend more time talking about what God is doing in the situation rather than what the devil is doing. We need to realize that repeating the problem over and over again is not God's method. The Bible method is to call the things that are not manifest and keep calling them until they are manifest. If we find ourselves always making dumb decisions, let's begin confessing that we have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God for every situation. Don't keep saying it like it is. Let's say things the way we want them to be, based on the word of God. We proclaim these things based on the scriptures. God's method is to call for things God has already promised in the Bible, which are not presently manifest and operative in our life. Suppose Jesus revealed himself in the natural and walked down the aisle of our church some Sunday morning. Once he reaches the front of the church, he turns around and says in a loud, authoritative voice, From now on, everything that you say shall immediately come to pass. He then walks back out of the church as he had originally came in. I suppose Sister Sally would turn to her husband and say, Well, George, that just tickles me to death. And instantly she falls over dead. Then Deacon John sees that Sister Sally just fell over dead, says to himself, I just can't believe it. What's the church coming to? I suppose everyone else is going to fall dead as well. I'll leave the rest of this story up to your imagination to finish. We need to be serious about our choice of words as we do our actions. There are blessings and consequences to what we say about situations in our life and beyond. Proverbs 21.23 He who guards his mouth and keeps his tongue keeps himself from calamity. We must put these principles into practice as a lifestyle if we're going to develop in them, and it's not going to happen overnight. We need to discipline ourselves to believe the things that we say will come to pass. We have to cut out of our conversations all the foolishness if we're going to develop in faith. Ephesians 4.29 It's really quite simple. Just learn to say what you mean and mean what you say. Let your yes be yes and your no no, according to James 5.12. Develop faith in your words, so that what you say you expect to come to pass. Learn to release faith in every word you speak. But if you see the problem— If you believe in the problem, if you talk the problem, then you will end up being the problem. Believe you receive. Mark 11.24 Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. This principle, believe that you have received it, is such a crucial facet to the whole area of operating in the spirit of faith. Once we have released the spirit of faith through the confession of God's word out of our mouth, the vital process of standing in faith until the manifestation of the promise begins. This is where the real fight of faith begins, First 1 Timothy 1.18 and chapter 6 verse 12. For example, in the matter of giving and receiving, according to Philippians 4.15, When we give, we set a law in motion. Every time we give to God's work for the sake of the gospel in obedience to Jesus, will come back to us multiplied, according to Luke 6.38. However, the problem is that sometimes people don't understand that, therefore they do not believe it. The return may come alright, but they miss it, because they were not looking for it. Opportunity for blessing will always come, but we can miss out on it, if we are not looking for it, if we are not believing for it and expecting it. Paul talked about the matter of giving and receiving, but most ministers only talk about the first part, the giving part that is only half of the message. We need to be just as proficient in how to receive or make withdrawals as we do in giving and making deposits. It's not automatic as so many may think. We should always have our faith out there expecting a harvest for the seed we sow. In the natural, farmers do as much. Some Christians have pitched their offering in the bucket and said, well, I guess it's all gone now or up to the Lord. I will never see that again. Oh well, sigh. But I guess I'll get a reward when I get up in heaven, in the sweet by and by. It will all be wonderful then. I'll get all of those riches I'm storing up in heaven. Question, what would you do with them there? What about the here and now? What are you going to do about the bills that need to be paid? What about the work of God that needs to be done throughout the earth today? Unfortunately, some religious folk become so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good they relegate everything to the future and spiritualize God's blessings for our everyday life. These well-meaning people get all kinds of squirrely notions and goofy thinking that is not in the Bible. Sadly, if a promise of God mentions anything remotely relating to meeting some physical, natural, or material need, they are notorious for rationalizing and relegating the promise into the distant future when we all get to heaven never mind reading the context of the passage, that clearly supports the interpretation that the promise is referring to meeting our needs right here and right now. God is the God of today, not tomorrow. Hebrews 3.7 and 2 Corinthians 6.2. God's method is to take an eternal force of faith and change the things that are seen, the temporal things according to 2 Corinthians 4.18. The word temporal means subject to change. That means if we can see it, feel it, touch it, or taste it, then we can take our faith and the word of God and change it. Thank God all evil in this world is temporary. There is no permanent evil condition on this earth that will last forever. For example, sickness is subject to change. Poverty is subject to change according to the word of God. However, God never changes, nor does the eternal truths of his word. Faith always sees the end results. In Isaiah 43.26 it says, put me in remembrance. In other words, call him to remembrance of what he has already said. The Father loves it when we speak to him in regards to his word. It's not so much for his benefit as it is for ours. It makes our faith stronger, and we have the assurance that his word will not return to him void, according to Isaiah fifty-five eleven. If we pray the answer, our faith will grow. While we are praying, if we pray the problem, our fears will grow. While we are praying, Some Christians destroy their faith by their own praying. When we study the life and ministry of Jesus, we will notice that he always guarded his conversation, so he would not undo what he had already declared in the beginning. For example, in the instance where Jesus raised his friend Lazarus up from the dead, in John 11.11, Jesus said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Jesus declared from the beginning that his friend would be raised from the dead. Once Jesus got there, he never backed down from his earlier declaration. John eleven thirty nine. 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. When Jesus made these declarations, all kinds of doubts began to fly from people around him. But his response was, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now get this next statement Jesus had made, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When it comes to prayer, we must know that God has heard us. The secret of knowing if God has heard us is to pray in line with God's will, which is God's word. Jesus had fulfilled the conditions of believe before you receive when he had spoken in faith. 1 John 5 verse 14 This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. After we pray, don't pray again. God either heard us or he didn't. If we keep asking for prayer, our confession is saying that God did not hear us the first time. These are the things that are whipping us. By confessing the same old prayer request over and over again, We were actually falling under the condemnation of the heathen through vain repetition, Matthew 6-7. A person would never get a house built if they put the foundation down one day and took it up the next, repeating the act again and again. Take a farmer for instance, who goes out into his fields and plants seed, only the next day to dig it up again, repeating the same act over and over again. Neither of these people will ever see the fulfillment of their endeavors. And neither will we if we go on praying on and on in the same manner. When we pray, let's claim the promise that God has already heard us the first time and has already answered our prayer. Now is the time to thank Him for it and go on our ways as though we already have it, because technically speaking, we really do from a spiritual point of view. In time, it will manifest in the natural realm if we hold fast to our confession of faith by saying the same thing. Once we say God has heard our prayer, never go back on it. It doesn't matter what we see, feel, or what our senses tell us. Stay with it. Take hold of it with the tenacity of a bulldog and don't turn loose. For example, in the area of physical healing, Satan can camouflage a few symptoms and try to make us believe that we are not healed. In the first place, he has no authority over us as Christians. All he can do is try to get us to believe the symptoms and go by our senses. The wrong confession defeats us, not only by our words, but by our actions. The decisions we make determine our destiny. Our corresponding action will dictate that we carry ourselves as though the answer came the minute we had prayed. Start confessing what God says is true in the word, even if it totally contradicts natural circumstances. When it comes to speaking God's word, we can do that over and over again, but we don't want to take that same approach with prayer. The prayer of faith is prayed once, then thanksgiving and the sacrifice of praise unto the Lord will follow until the answer manifests. So what do healed people do? Do it. Remember, God speaks the things desired, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, not what he does not desire. He calls for the thing that is not manifest, which in turn brings to nothing the persisting condition. Likewise, we are to imitate our Heavenly Father and call for the things that we desire according to God's word. Mark 11.24 As you study the Bible, you will notice that God never does anything without saying it first. Faith always sees the end results. We are everything the word of God says we are. Therefore, everything we say should be in agreement with God's word, not with our circumstances. Please don't become discouraged when starting out on this faith journey. When you hit a few bumps in the road, we all do, someone might say, but I prayed for somebody and they died. What does that have to do with it? All God expects for us is to use our faith in every situation we come up against. However, we might as well get used to it. We're not always going to be in control of every situation or circumstance. When dealing with prayer for other people, there are so many other variables involved, primarily their free will and the consequences for certain actions. We have authority in our own house, Acts 16.31, but not in someone else's house, or their life. We can change our own personal world, but we can't just barge into someone else's and alter their world without their permission. The eye of faith always sees itself with the answer in hand before it has ever manifested. We have been saying that faith always speaks the end result. If it's not now, it's not faith. People are going to misunderstand us as we begin to operate in this realm. But if we want to walk in the kingdom of God, with our head held high because of what Jesus has done for us, we need to learn to walk by faith. God's word gives us the assurance that the answer is on its way when we activate it by His grace and through our faith in God's word. Have you ever connected faith and your imagination together? You should. The two really go hand in hand. I believe that imagination and the ability to dream is a God-given capacity. This creative expression from God is the result of mankind being made in the image and likeness of God according to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, to dream, create and innovate. In the natural, we make plans to do something, like go on a vacation. Usually mental images are created first. Through our mind's eye, we can see ourselves having a good time. We start planning out the details, the road trip, etc. More importantly, we start talking about it as though we were already there. That is how God created us to function and that is how faith works. We talk ourselves into the blessings of God. The same is true when one operates in the spirit of faith. Faith sees the answers and makes plans as though they had already happened. Our conversation speaks in present tense as though we already got it. Faith is the creative force of God that fashions the dreams of God into reality. The same is true for us. We hear people talk about blind faith. But faith is not blind. Faith always sees. Faith always sees through the storm. Instead of getting focused on the present, faith always sees the end result. Faith has its sights fixed on a specific target and is not distracted by peripheral things. In Romans 14.23 says, And everything that does not come from faith is sin. A simple definition for sin is to miss the mark. Therefore faith sets its sights on the promises of God and hits the bullseye every time. Mark four verse thirty five. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus made a declaration to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. Those words were so full of faith that nothing in all creation could keep them from coming to pass. Obviously, the disciples did not take to heart those words. Those were words of destiny. It must happen that way. Jesus was no liar. The fact he said it meant that it must come to pass. The disciples had no reason to fear. Regardless of the severity of the storm, the disciples failed to see themselves as going over to the other side. Fear had seized their imagination, and all they could see themselves doing was going down with the ship. Our imagination will reflect whether we are flowing in faith or wallowing in fear. Second Corinthians 10.5 in the King James Version Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Greek word for imaginations is a computation reasonings, or a thought. Concerning the scripture, the context depicts a spiritual act of warfare when we cast down imaginations that are contrary to God's word. The enemy will attempt to plant thoughts of failure and defeat in our minds. The devil will go to great lengths to play the movies of doubt and fear through our minds if we allow him to. What we need to do is change the channel to God's station, the word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to use God's word to display previews of success, victory, and blessing. Start making plans to succeed. Start making those plans to succeed through your faith and your imagination. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels how Jesus often made reference to the fact that someday he was going up to Jerusalem to be crucified and arise on the third day? Luke nine twenty two, thirteen thirty two, eighteen thirty three. 24 verse 7 and verse 25 to 27 faith had his footsteps marked out to fulfill the scriptures in luke 9:51 it states as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven jesus resolutely set out for jerusalem the greek word for resolutely means to set fast to turn resolutely in a certain direction to establish and steadfastly set to strengthen So let's fix our sights on the promise, and faith will get us there. To believe in our heart means that we will also speak that word out of our mouth. The two principles go hand in hand. If we believe it, we will say it, and that is how we will receive it. Romans 10.10 It is with your heart that you believe, and it's with your mouth that you confess. We hear the word, and faith comes. We believe it in our heart, faith is conceived. We confess it out of our mouth. Faith is released when we pray, let's believe that we receive the answer that we have it now by faith, it's mine, I take it now. Faith is the title deed that it is our possession, according to hebrews eleven one when Jesus rebuked the fig tree in Mark eleven verse thirteen and fourteen, notice that he spoke words, he did not pull out a machete in order to hack it to pieces. Notice also that Jesus did not ask the Father God to zap it. It is true that sometimes our prayers are directed upward as petitions, requesting things from the Father. However, many times we need to release our faith in the name of Jesus toward obstacles that stand in our way, like the devil. When a believer casts out a demon, does he or she lift up their eyes to heaven and ask the Father to cast the devil out? Is that how Jesus did it while he was on earth? No, Jesus operated as a son of man with authority, and he addressed the devil and told him what to do. Jesus has delegated that authority to us so we can deal with the devil the same way that Jesus did. Matthew 10, 1 and verse 8, chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, Mark 16, verse 17, and Luke chapter 10, verse 18 to 20. Now, I'd like to present a really important concept here, that it's not scriptural to ask God for anything that he has already given us through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Take the new birth for example. Romans ten ten does not say to pray the prayer of petition in order to receive salvation. The passage simply says, "Confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead." Oftentimes, the appropriate tact to take is to simply claim what already belongs to us in Jesus' name because of our redemption in Him. Second Peter chapter one verse four. Oftentimes, a situation warrants. That we use our God-given authority in Jesus' name and demand the devil to get out of the way, John fourteen thirteen. If we need wisdom, then let's ask God for it because the Bible instructs us to ask in James chapter one verse five. If we need healing, just say, "I claim healing for my body" according to First Peter two twenty four. You don't have to ask for permission for what's already yours. If we need strength, say, "Body, be strengthened in Jesus' name." According to Philippians four thirteen. Whatever God has promised us in His Word, we have the right to claim for our lives and say it's mine, I receive it now. John chapter fourteen verse thirteen and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Sadly, today too many of God's children are laying around the pool of Bethesda, waiting for the troubling of the waters. John chapter Five, Verse one through sixteen. They are waiting for a spiritual handout all the while Jesus is standing there saying, "Come and dine, I have a glorious table of redemption for you to feast on and to be satisfied. Oh, do you need some healing here? Have a loaf of it. You must be thirsty. Have a drink of the Holy Spirit. Make sure you have thirds of prosperity pie. Unfortunately, many of God's children are subjected to spiritual poverty. By the lies of man's religion and traditions, groping around as beggars, the devil and his crowd just stand around and laugh at us as we make feeble attempts to be spiritual, sincere but ignorant. If we go through life barely getting along, it is not God's will or His fault. He has already made ample provision available for us to go through life in style, blessed to be a blessing. John ten ten, Romans eight verse thirty one to thirty nine. 1 Timothy 6.17 and third John verse 2. Now the note of victory is really important to faith. In Romans chapter 4 verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Faith sings best when there is nothing to sing about from a natural standpoint. When feelings of self-pity rise up and the devil is playing a violin in the background singing the blues, it's time to stand up in the spirit and stop the music. The music of faith always gives glory to God, even in the deepest test or trial. According to the scripture that we just read, faith is strengthened when we lift our voices to heaven in praise and adoration to the Most High. Faith has its highest expression through praise and worship. It is the note of victory. A whining, complaining, and downtrodden testimony is a sound of defeat that testifies that we've already lost the battle. Remember Paul and Silas in the jail at Philippi? They had every reason to gripe and complain to God for having been treated so unfairly. Yet they gave volume to their faith in God by singing praises to the Lord at midnight. Even while their feet were in stocks and their backs were still bleeding from the beating they had endured that afternoon. What was the result? God showed up in an awesome way. Faith can turn seemingly impossible situations into opportunities for God to show Himself strong on our behalf. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. Second Chronicles 16.9 In Acts 16.25 it states, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The spirit of faith begins where the word of faith has left off. One begins where the other ends. Once we have faith in our heart, thanks to meditating on God's word, it's now time to release that faith into a positive confession that is consistent until the manifestation of the promise. The word of faith is a confession of God's word unto faith, to get faith into our spirit. But the spirit of faith is a confession that releases our faith from our spirit. In both cases, the word of God is spoken out of our mouth, but the spirit of faith does not kick in until the word of God has been planted in our spirit. At this point, the word is coming out of our spirit, not out of our mind. So confession is affirming something we believe. It is testifying to something we know. It is witnessing to a truth we have embraced. There is no faith without the confession of God's word. Second Corinthians 4.13 It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when God raised Him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.